Welcome to the Potter's House Community Church's podcast. Join us weekly as we feature our Sunday sermons. The Potter's House Community Church exists to help people be shaped by God to be followers of Jesus Christ. We hope today's message encourages you as we dive into God's Word. So grab your favorite drink and let's listen to today's sermon. So show me your mysteries, my God. We are in Genesis chapter 22. Um, is where we are today. But we have been following uh, one guy for a while now in Genesis, um, a guy named Abraham. And we have seen, <clears throat> excuse me, we've seen God making promises uh, to him and then keeping those promises. And a lot of those promises all revolve around his son, Isaac. And, and so when we have that context, uh, finally, up to this point, finally Isaac has been born. Um, Abraham has sent away Ishmael. He's, he's, he's gotten rid of him. And like Isaac is, is the son of promise. He's the one that he's been looking for. Um, and all these things that he's based his whole life on are all wrapped up in this kid. Right? And then we come to Genesis chapter 22. And if you're if you're familiar with it, I want to encourage you um, to maybe treat this story like, like it's new to you today. Um, and, and let yourself be pulled into the suspense of the story. Uh, because that's, that's really one of the most sus- suspenseful stories, especially from Abraham's life. Um, and the way that, that the story builds up and the, what's going on here. Because we've been following him for chapters after chapters now of, of everything's revolving around this boy, around this son. And he finally has a son. And so at this point, we would just think that the Bible would be like, whoo, yay, easy now, right? But instead, it's quite a drastic turn here in Genesis chapter 22. So let's jump in and get started. Genesis chapter 22, starting verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Wait, what? Like, like seriously, what? You know, like, the, every, we've spent chapters investing in this story of getting to this point of having Isaac, and now Abraham's supposed to go offer him as a burnt sacrifice on a mountain. And before we dig into that deeper, let's, let's dig in a little bit there in, in verse 1. Um, I know we have some King James people. Anybody got King James with you this morning? Some other translations have, have this word as well. There in verse 1, after these things, mine says, after these things God tested. Uh, anybody have something different there instead of tested? Tempted, right. Um, and so what is it? Did God test or did God tempt um, Abraham? You're like, okay, when it's kind of semantics, what, what's the big deal? Um, here's the big deal. Some of our guys that are in the men's group probably could tell you what the big deal is. Um, in the book of James, uh, it says this in James 1.13. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. So, is Genesis in contradiction to James? Is what's being said here um, about what God did with Abraham, is he tempting him? 
and then that contradicts to what James says, where James says uh, that God does not tempt anyone? Uh, well, that's a good question. I'm glad you guys are asking these very deep theological questions this morning. You're so smart. Um, well, the Hebrew word there, I did some digging into it. The Hebrew word there is nisa, N-I-S-S-A, when we transliterate it to English. Um, and that word uh, can mean um, to tempt. It could mean that. But it also means to test, to try, that kind of thing. And so even when you, when you read it in, in like the King James where, where they're using the word tempt there, um, you can understand that in the, in the sense of God testing, okay? Not that God is tempting someone to sin, not that he's tempting Abraham to sin, but the word in context really it means that God's putting him to a test. He's giving him a test here. Um, so that kind of a trial kind of situation. I mean, test, try, prove, or tempt, okay? Uh, so yes, it's, the King James isn't wrong to translate the word that way, but when we understand it in light of Scripture and we understand it in context here, it's probably for, for our language an easier understanding if we, if we put the word test there. Um, and so that's why I like how the ESV translates that as test. Um, James also says in James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And what we're going to see through this story is actually what we're, we're tracing through Abraham's life in this situation. Directly affirms what James says right there. That, that it is through this testing that Abraham is being built up. At the end of the story, he's going to have a bigger view of God than he has at the beginning of the story. All right? Um, and so, uh, so, yeah, I don't see Genesis and James being in contradiction, but instead I see, once again, they're reinforcing each other and actually building each other up in what they're saying. That Genesis 22 is actually an example of what James is trying to teach about testing and trials and those kind of things. So this is a test. This is a trial for Abraham. And we can know this, that God tests us for our own good, but he does not tempt us to sin. God tests us for our own good. He puts us through trials. He puts us through difficult situations so that we can grow, so that we can know more about him, so that we can understand him better. But he does not tempt us to sin. That is not who God is. Well, let's continue now that we've dealt with that one word. Uh, Genesis 22. Let's move on. I'll read verse 2 again. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I shall tell you. So do you see what's actually built in right there? Even in the test, it's not like, hey, can you respond immediately with what I want you to do? No, you have to travel a couple, probably a couple days journey thinking about this the whole way. And, and honestly, I don't know if that made it harder or easier for Abraham. Okay? Because yes, harder in the sense of he's thinking about it all the way there, but he, easier in the sense that he's leaving Sarah behind. <laughs> Can you think about like Sarah's response to this of Abraham and just there in the middle of camp and be like, hey, honey, here's what we're going to do now. You know that boy we've been waiting on for like a hundred years? <laughs> going to kill him. I don't see mama liking that very much, right? I don't see that going very well with mama. So, so either way, 
Abraham is leaving to travel to do this thing. So Abraham rose early in the morning. Did he wait? Did he delay? No. Early in the morning, he sets out to do exactly what God said. Saddled his donkey and took his two young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place on which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Now that's interesting. That's something we'll dig into a little bit. Like, is is Abraham lying here? Or does he really believe that he and the boy are both going to come back? And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. So what do we see here in Abraham? We see obedience. God said, hey, go do this. And Abraham does it. He goes. He goes to do it immediately. He doesn't delay. He doesn't hold back. He's he's walking immediately saying, I'm going to do what God said. The little dialogue is very interesting to think about. Like what what does Abraham mean when he tells tells the guys that are, are walking with him, like, hey, we'll be back to you. What does he mean when he tells his son, like, Isaac obviously is no no fool here. Most likely Isaac's probably a teenager by this point. He would have been a strong young man. He's carrying the wood, right? Enough wood to consume an offering. And Isaac's like, Dad, I, I know how this works. I've done, I've done offerings with you before. We're missing one thing. There's something missing here. There's no lamb. Where, where's the lamb, Dad? And Abraham's response is that God will provide. And so it's very interesting to, to, to think, you know, this is one of those things when we get to heaven, maybe we can talk to Abraham about, like, like really what was going through your mind in that moment, right? Like, what, really, what were you thinking? And, and I think that really what we, we can see here in Abraham is that he does have faith even in, in this moment. He's still believing God's promises All the promises that God has given him that relate to Isaac, he's like, well, God is the one who's promised. God is the one who's given me the kid. And so I'm going to trust him now in this crazy thing that he's telling me to do that seems totally contradictory to everything else. So I think that he probably did fully believe that he and Isaac were going to be coming back to meet those guys. I think he did fully believe that God was going to provide. But yet he was going to, to continue to do exactly what God said all the way up to that point. And, and that really brings us to, back to the, the point of this being a test. And what is it that's being tested? What's being tested is Abraham's faith and his love for God. 
God is, God has put him in this place where he's saying, hey, this most valued son to you, this thing that I've made so many promises to you for, this thing that, this, this guy that, that you have based your whole life around, do you still love me more than you love him? Am I still more important? If I tell you to get rid of him for the sake of me, will you do it? And that's the test. That's what's going on here. And that's the same kind of test when we are being tested by the Lord and when we walk through trials in our life. Many times it boils down to, do we love God and have faith in his promises more than you fill in the blank? What is there in your life that maybe God might be testing you to say, do you really love me more than this? Do you really care about me more than this? Do you really want what I want more than this? And that's where we can put ourselves in the story and we can say, what is it? Do I love God most? Am I willing to do what he says even regard, regardless of how I feel about this thing? Because that's the challenge for us. Well, the story goes on, thankfully. It doesn't stop there. I hear you. I hear you for real. This is a very, very sad part of the story. Abraham's about to kill his son. We should all be crying. But verse 11. But. I love the buts in the Bible. Buts in the Bible are good things. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so right here, kind of in the last moment, God intercedes through his angel and he says, Abraham, Abraham, you passed the test. You can stop now. Don't kill the boy. Abraham sees this ram in verse 14. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And so Abraham learns this great lesson. We've seen him be blessed by God over and over and over again. But here we get to see him really understand the fact that the Lord provides and that God honors faith. He honors faith and he provides is what we see in this story. And you say, okay, well, that was kind of a close call. How does, this, how does that work out? Um, well, we, and, and really, do we see enough of Abraham's faith here? Do we really know that that's what's going on? Well, you actually have to wait a while in Scripture to really get the answer to that. But in Hebrews um, chapter 11, it, uh, it says this. If I can get there. Hebrews 11, starting in verse 17, says this. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise, promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. 
And so we see here in Hebrews that actually Abraham's faith included the fact that even as he's raising that knife, he was fully intending to use it. Even believing that in that act, God was powerful enough to bring his son back from the dead. He's like, God is, God's promise, made me all these promises relating to this boy. He's telling me to do this, so I'm, I'm going to do it because I, I believe in God and I believe that he can even bring him back from the dead. And now, let's, let's be clear here um, that throughout Scripture, this is a very challenging story because it does deal with child sacrifice. And the rest of Scripture is pretty clear. God does not desire child sacrifice. In the law, it's very clear, don't do this. Even though many of the other religions around the people in the culture in this time, this was a common practice to sacrifice children to their gods. And so let's, let's just understand that, that in the, when you look at the totality of Scripture, God, God does not desire children to be sacrificed, okay? Um, and, but yet, as Christians, our hope is in the fact, what, what was Isaac looking for as he's carrying the wood? He's looking for a lamb, right? Well, our hope as Christians is in a lamb. It's in the lamb of God. And it's in that very lamb of God that was none other than a child sacrifice. It was Jesus Christ, the child of God, God's only, one and only son. Just like Abraham, Isaac was his, his only son um, at this point, as, as is considered here. Um, he's the son of promise. The same is true with Jesus. Jesus was the son of promise. He was the only son, but he's the only son of God the Father. And God willingly sent him to die, to be a sacrifice, to be that perfect, spotless, blemishless lamb in our place. And it wasn't at the last moment in that situation that God said, stop, don't do it. It was in that moment that God said, it has to be done. It was in that moment that Jesus himself said, it is finished. And it was in that moment that he died. He was buried because he was dead. And yet he rose again three days later, defeating sin and death. And as a Christian, that's what our hope is in. That's where we can find our hope. That's where um, we make sense of, of everything. Um, in Romans uh, chapter 8, it says it this, this way, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You're going through a trial right now. You're going through a tough situation. You're going through a test. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is it at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? 
as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so as, as you're going through a trial, Paul puts into perspective there, you know, whatever it is, whatever the situation is, we have the fact that God gave his one and only son to carry us through even that situation, and we are more than conquerors. It might look bleak in this life, we might suffer in this life, situations might be tough in this life, but ultimately we are more than conquerors in him, through him who loved us. Neither death nor life, none of these things can separate us from the love of God. And for the Christian, that's where our hope is found. It all is ultimately found in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ himself for us. And the fact that that sacrifice was received, that that sacrifice was accepted and marked paid in full by the fact that he rose from the dead. Going back to Genesis now, jumping into verse 15. And the angel Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that's on the seashore. And your offspring shall shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men. And they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. But did you catch verse 18 there? And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Who is that? How is that fulfilled? It's Jesus. Jesus who came through Isaac. And so it's through Jesus that all the nations of the earth are blessed. And that's why the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ has traveled from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria uh, to all the way to British Columbia, Canada. That's why we're, we're collecting things for Emily to take back to Africa on the other side of the globe so that the gospel can be spread there. That's why we care about missions. That's why we care about having the gospel advance to all nations, to all peoples. It's because all the way back in Genesis 22, that's the plan. From that moment, it's it's all nations are in picture. All of God's people, all, all people throughout the world. Yes, God's setting up a nation. He's setting up a tribe, specifically through Abraham and Isaac. But the plan for that nation, that tribe all along, was for Jesus to come and be a blessing to all nations. And so, yes, we see here that, that God honors faithfulness. Abraham is faithful, and God honors that. He, he again reiterates his promises to Abraham. He reiterates these things. And Abraham walks away knowing God better, knowing that God's the God who provides And he has this moment of being able to worship and praise God. And 
I think this is a good time for us to go back and, and look at James again now that we've seen the context of, of this story. And let's look at James 1, 2 through 4 again. Where it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Then down in verse 12 it says this. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. So are you going through a trial right now? Are you going through a tough situation? Remain steadfast. Stick to the Lord. Stick to his love. Stick to his faithfulness. Know his grace in your situation. Because he is faithful and he will take care of you. He will carry you through whatever the trial is. Coming back to Genesis 22, it really ends in kind of a strange way uh, compared to the rest of this story. And honestly, even as I was preparing this message, like, why is this even here? Um, and then it kind of hit me. And so let's, let's jump in and read what it says, and then I'll, I'll tell you why I think it's here. Now, after these things, it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor. Uz, his firstborn, Buzz, his brother, Kimuel, the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jid, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Reumah, bore Teba, Gaham, Tehash, and Mekah. Now, doesn't that just seem like a strange ending to this story? But here's why I think it's there. I think it's there to show us, once again, to just illustrate. Here's Abraham. He was willing to give his one and only son. And he walks away from that, getting the information that, hey, look how many kids your brother's got now. Anybody ever have somebody in your family compare you to a sibling? Like maybe your life doesn't measure up or something like that, right? Anybody ever experienced that? Well, I think that's kind of going on here with Abraham. It's like, hey, you got one kid. Look how many Nahor's got. Dude's prolific. What are you doing over here? But yet in that, Abraham was willing to take his one and only and honor the Lord with it. I've heard uh, some parents, I won't name names, um, who uh, have said, you know, we weren't really sure how that first kid was going to work out. So we wanted to have some more to better our odds. (laughs) And that's something that we can say and we can joke about. But Abraham here, he's all committed with one kid. He's been looking for Isaac his whole life. All these promises God has made him that he's based his life on are wrapped up in Isaac. He doesn't have fallback plan. He doesn't have plan B. He doesn't have other, these other options, right? He's already put Ishmael away. That's, that's, there's no, no plan B. And yet, even in that situation, he's willing to honor God, do what God says, and here's my all. Here's my everything. Bound on this altar, and I'm raising my hand with this knife to take his life. And so I want to ask you, 
Are you committed to the Lord to give him your all, whatever it is? In response to what Jesus has done for us on the cross, our response should be, yes, Lord, whatever you want. You gave your all for me. You gave your one and only son to die for me. And so this stuff that I have, this life that I live, this time that I have, how can I use it for you? How can I use it for you and for building up your kingdom so that more people can know the good news of Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much that you did give your all, that you laid down your literal life You shed your blood for us. You were the sacrifice for us. And Lord, I thank you that through that we can be redeemed. Lord, I pray for anyone here who's not believed in you as their Lord and Savior, who's not called on you to to forgive them, to make them right with God. Lord, I pray that today through the power of your Holy Spirit, you will lead them to the, the need they have for that. That they will humble themselves, place themselves before you and call out and say, yes, yes, Lord, I believe. I believe in who you are. I believe in what you did on the cross and I need you to redeem me. Lord, I pray that they'll, they'll have that conversation with you right now. Lord, I pray that those of us that have experienced that, that have experienced your saving power, your goodness in our life. I pray that we won't hold back from you. I pray that like Abraham, we won't just take your blessings and hoard them to ourselves, but that we'll be willing to even trust you with those blessings and give them back to you in a way that you can use them for the way that you see fit, for what you see is best. Lord, because we trust you and we love you and we want to honor you with our lives and all that we are. pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Feel free to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and share with others. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at www.potterschurch.ca or you can connect with us also on social media. Tune in next week for a brand new episode of our weekly sermon series. We hope that you have such an amazing rest of your day. Don't you feel yourself?